my wife said something interesting to me. She was listening to a class, and I got this text out of the blue and said, I don't think Adam and Eve really had any idea what it meant to die. She talked a little bit about Weston when he was little, and she told him not to touch the stove. It's hot. And he didn't understand what that meant until he touched the stove and found out it was hot. That was a bad day for him. Adam and Eve didn't know what it meant to have a a hot stove until they touched it. And then they found out really quick what it meant to die and be cut off from God. Today we continue in the final prophecy, the story of man's fall and God's work to bring all mankind back to him, which we are told is his work in glory. We're happy to have you join us. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We're your two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you back to the Cottage Studios in Independence, Missouri. Join us in that conversation we are starting, we, have, we set a new record yet again at 6 a.m. on this Sunday morning. Corey, how you feeling? Oh, great. And just so everyone knows, we get up before the sun just to bring you this podcast. <laughs> I know Corey's an early riser. I knew if I would have said 4 a.m., he would have joined me, but uh, I took a little mercy on myself. So we, uh, Corey's been out of town, and if we uh, didn't do this right now, then we wouldn't have one for this week. We're keeping our streak alive my friend over, over a year, year and yeah. we haven't missed one yet so i was asked yesterday hey what uh what kind of backlog do you guys have to to put episodes out and at times we've had five or six where we could go a, week, a while but i said we have none we have nothing recorded mostly, for mo- mostly my fault i've been on the road quite a bit oh well you gotta you gotta make the money you're the money maker and yeah. I'm the eye candy, Corey. So. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a lot less of you to love these days, too, looking across the table at you right yeah. now, buddy. Yeah. Well, hey, um, so I wanted to talk about a couple of things um, just relevant. You know, each of us have things that come up each week as we're involved in the Word and listening to sermons and uh, talking back and forth. But we will, we will get to the final prophecy for those following along. You can go to restoredgospel.org. We always have a link Com. in it. Dot com. Sorry. <laughs> I just have a little pretty icon on my desktop that I click. But yeah, restoredgospel.com. And we'll have a link that'll take you right to Restored, Go- uh, Restored Prophecy. Jeez, man. Gospel. <laughs> Corey, what is it? <laughs> it's the final prophecy. Be no, the final prophecy. It's uh, You can download a PDF and take notes, or you can use the wonderful interactive uh, version that's on there, which is great because you can just hover over the scriptures and they pop right up and it's very quick uh, if you want to follow along. But Corey, what do you, th- well, hey, before we talk about Adam, and, and I know you've got some stuff to talk about, um, I just wanted to say the Word of God. I was talking with a friend this week and, you know, there's a dream going around on the internet of a pastor that simply shared that he had had a dream where he saw the calendar and he saw a hand point to the calendar and type, you know, tap three, like three times, I think he said. And he was talking about what was going on in January, for, or I guess it was around March when all of this started. 
And because he, he said his dream came true, he had another dream that something was going to happen around September. And then in November, he saw something very bad happening, I believe. If I'm, most people have heard of this dream. I'm not, I don't even, I don't have the name, but my point is this. How do we know when people say they have dreams, if it's of God or not? What's the purpose of them? Because the scriptures tell us that, you know, in the last days there'll be visions and dreams and those are gifts of the spirit. And then my question is this, if we don't believe some of these things to be true, why do we trust the scriptures? Because those were just men having experiences with God and what makes them more valid than modern day uh, testimonies? Any thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting. I I think in the restoration, sort of almost the hallmark of the restoration has been that we believe that God can reveal things to us individually and personally. Now, at the same time, when I look back in my uh, career in the restoration, if you will, um, I've like many people, it seems to be more on the fundamental side than 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 the other side. But the so many people say, well, God showed me this and, and God gave me this. And I've heard a lot of things and, you know, I've had certain experiences that actually I've seen in dreams that have come true, uh, really, really have. But yet at the same time, I've heard many predictions of things like the dreams on the internet that, that are going around on the internet that haven't. And, and I know that in my own life, I, I don't know that I have an answer to your question as far as, I, you know, how do you know and how did these guys' dreams get him? For instance, Lehi leaves Jerusalem and because he said, hey, God warned me in a dream. Then it, it, and it, I think that also means vision, though, because he says in a couple spots, he says, I dreamed a dream or, in other words, I saw a vision. So whatever happened was pretty grand. It was enough to convince him to pick up everything that he had and leave and do something that was unheard of probably in his day. From all accounts, Lehi was uh, a very wealthy man, you know, and there's there's several indicators. And, and in fact, you probably had seen this on the internet. Um, you know, there's this house of Lehi that they've sort of discovered. And I'm not saying it's Lehi's house, but it was named that, a place in Jerusalem that they've excavated recently. And wow. people are wondering, mm-hmm. people are wondering now if that was actually, you know, Lehi's place. And it was this big place they've excavated. Nevertheless, uh, that's not really the point. So how did he know, and how are we supposed to know, right? Right. You know, in, in Timothy, in the King James Version, I think it's Timothy. Our viewers know, but, or our listeners know by now, I'm not a Scripture and verse guy, <laughs> but I, I do remember concepts. So it could have been. But uh, it's, there's a Scripture that says, uh, all Scripture that is uh, breathed by God, or all Scripture is profitable for the spirit of men, and yet in the Inspired Version it says, all Scripture that is basically given by God is profitable for the, there's a little caveat there. So there's a, there's a thinking around the uh, mainstream Christianity that among some that, that somehow this Bible is just this golden book that fell out of heaven and is inerrant and is absolutely 100% been preserved for man. And we can trust it implicitly because it says all scripture is God breathed or all scripture is profitable for, for men. I've probably messed that scripture up. I should probably find it. However, the the inspired version says all men, you know, basically all scripture that's given of God is profitable for men, saying that there may be things in there that doesn't come directly from the heart of God to man. 
Um, you know what I'm talking about. You know the scripture. I know you do. So what do you what do you think about that? Well, um, so the key comes down to I, I guess you know the the spirit has to ring true. But I think we have to like for instance in the doctrine and covenants. You know this kind of says something pretty pretty profound. Whatsoever a man speaks when he's moved on by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture. That's a it's doctrine and covenant section sixty eight one. But you know, in my life, I've I've heard a lot of men say things that I I wasn't sure if it was the Holy Ghost leading them or not. Uh, one is that you know the people have to be moved on by the Holy Ghost to be able to utter God's word and repeat it, and then we're given this Holy Ghost to so that things ring true. Here's one of the things about dreams of oh you know ominous or foreboding times. Um, we in the restoration have tended, in my opinion. To, to use those things as almost like proof that, aha, we were right. See, it's coming. Bad things are about to happen, and people are having dreams. Well, this guy's dream could be true, but there's there's thousands of people who have had dreams who've said certain things, and and they haven't come true. And I, I the problem I have is in, in our in our purpose, we, we miss the objective. It's like God's given us this word, and he's, and I'm going to tell you, I, I believe the Book of Mormon, the words are true. I, I believe that of all the scripture we have, I think it's the purest word of God that we have. And unfortunately, it, it's given us, I mean, fortunately, it's given us plans of the future. It tells how things are going to unfold. It's given us covenants. But what's happened, in my opinion, is that we sometimes set those on the side, and, and they're not always obvious you got to study to to glean some of the truths and covenants out but the whole thing is sometimes we set those aside for things we've heard recently in our day and and then we we tend to want to we we tend to want to build our doctrine off of just recent things we've heard and i've i've called it in my own life the wednesday night doctrine you know people could stand up in a wednesday night service and say pretty much anything and it's it's kind of goes unchecked right and i had a dream about this i had a dream about this and this is happening and, and so what I think has happened in my generation, in our in our day is what I'm saying, is sometimes we hold on to these things and they're always a short-term thing. 18 months from now, such and such is going to happen. Or two years from now, such and such is going to happen. So in those next 18 or 24 months, people just kind of get riveted in on, oh, no, this thing's going to happen. And, you know, I remember in 1991, there was going to be an earthquake. And in 1993, there was going to be this. And in 1990. What was it? Someone else predicted around the year 2000, Russia was going to invade because all these people had dreams about these things. And you know what? Zero of them happened. But in the meantime, everyone was fixed on this dream about to happen and hunkering down or doing whatever they're going to do. And when those things didn't happen, I thought, what did we do with the scriptures and the gospel and the message that God gave us to be his emissaries for in this whole time, right? And so I look back, and I think, I didn't do anything. All I was doing was worried there was going to be an earthquake, or I was worried there was going to be a, an invasion, or I was going to do all this stuff. And it's like, I miss the thing about teaching about God and his mercy and his justice, and I miss the thing about needing a Savior, and I missed all these things. And and I realized that, so person on the internet, I mean, I have, I have close friends who have had dreams about things that are going to happen this year, and it's like, well, here's here's my story. I grew grew up my whole life was sort of surrounded by these things kind of that was we were fed a steady diet of someone else's dream or experience all my life and these things that didn't come to pass i realized i I hadn't been learning god's promises from the scripture from the beginning now that's my philosophy towards a lot of this stuff is like you know what 
tell me what you want to tell me, but I'm not going to get di diverted off track of what I believe the, the real promises are. Even if this guy's dreams are true, you know what? The Book of Mormon, I, I take a lot of comfort in this. The Book of Mormon promises that the gospel goes back to Israel and there's going to be a day when there's two churches and God's people overcome. And these are the bigger bullet points that God has told us already in scripture are going to happen. So whatever happens in the meantime is, is a little sub note, a footnote of maybe how that comes to pass, if it comes to pass at all. But I don't even want to get mired in those details. I just, I want to see the bigger picture of what God has told us. And I take that primarily from the book of Mormon. So that was my, that was my response when we were talking this week with a friend that um, I was asked, what do you, what did you think about that, that dream? And, and when I first heard it, I thought, I thought the man was humble. I didn't think he was out to get any um, following. He's not a big church leader. Um, he simply saw, saw that something had come to pass that he had a dream and he wanted to share the rest of it. I bet probably God put on his heart. That was what he should do. But the whole time I'm listening to him, I thought this totally, yeah. I mean, I already, I know from the Book of Mormon what kind of spirit is going to rage in the hearts of men, and when times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, what kind of things are going to happen. And this, this is only substantiating that whether it happens this at the end of this year or not doesn't matter. We know it's going to happen at some point in time, and what to expect. And so that was interesting. But you know something else I thought about? He had a dream where he saw a congregation sitting there, and then he saw some other people come in, and there was wolves among the sheep, but. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about this till last night when I was reading something. He said that what was really attacking the people of God, what those wolves were, were people that had been believers and had then turned away from God, and they were then just raging against righteousness. And I was I read again last night the great definition of the gospel in section seventy six. And what did what did Jesus himself say? He said, "All men are going to be saved." except for the sons of perdition. Mm -hmm. And he describes what those sons of perdition were, those that once knew, that once knew the gospel, that once had the spirit, that knew it, and then turned their backs on it. And I thought, you know what? If anybody is going to be raging at the last day, it's going to be, it's very possible. It's those people that knew something of the love of God and turned their backs on it. And, and that's still, that was kind of an interesting time. But you're right, I... To me, it matters not because we, we're told in the— and so that's what brought us back around to this conversation. Well, we're told in the Book of Mormon about the times of the Gentiles. We're already warned of that. We're already warned yeah. there's going to be judgment on the Gentiles. So why why do we believe uh, Nephi and Alma and the writers of the Book of Mormon as opposed to um, you know people today that are having experiences? Because these were just men having experiences with God. And, and I don't have a good answer other than I said it— the Book of Mormon just, to me, feels infused into my soul. It's a part of who I am, and when I read it, I, I can't explain what it is, but it's just there's harmony truth, with it. I yeah. guess. Mm -hmm. or And so I, I think at, a, at certain times, well, we know Jesus himself, when he came down, told the writers of the Book of Mormon, hey, by the way, you didn't write the fact that all of these people were resurrected when I appeared and, and, and came back, put that in, you know, write that down in the records. So God himself had had a, uh, a very intimate tie into saying certain things need to preserve through time for the welfare of my people. Yes. yes. And so to some extent, I do kind of take on that 
that idea that even the mainstream, you know, Christianity has that there were scriptures that were preserved for the welfare and the souls of men. And, and we know that, that God knew part of those things would be removed and messed up. And so he preserved another record to come forth in the last days to then. So if he's going to all of that work, I have to set that standard as a foundation and say, this isn't just men having dreams. Maybe we can believe what we read. Maybe we can't. It, something has to be the word of God. And and, and you got to start somewhere and say, okay, I'm holding this to be true. Right? Yeah. And, and, and otherwise everything's questionable. And, and then what do you, where, where are you at with that? But the, yeah, but because, but we have to realize we, we don't just say, well, because the book of Mormon's already bound and it's in this book and I've been raised in my religion to hold this book yeah. as scripture because it was just when you get right down to it, all it was was men having experiences with God, writing the things he told him. And then you say, well, why, why isn't he doing that today? Well, we believe he did kind of do that in the 1800s to some extent. And maybe not everything that we have in the Doctrine of Covenants was, was meant to be uh, scripture pertaining to all men. There's some things in there, but, but definitely he gave us uh, scripture in the last days. Um, Right now, he seems to be a little silent, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean that's going to last forever. There's been times in history when he seemingly was silent. Yeah. Well, again, I you know coming back to the dream that you mentioned on that's going around the internet, I guess I just feel like, and you already touched on this, um, we've already been warned. I mean, the ninth chapter of Third Nephi goes into it extensively, uh, in the seventh chapter, and it's Jesus' words. Where he's saying, "Hey, uh, if the, I'm bringing this gospel to the Gentiles, and if they reject it, it goes back to the house of Israel. And by the way, there will be judgment on the Gentiles, such as they've never seen. And so, we've we already know those things are going to happen. And, and whether someone now has an insight as to when they begin, I don't know. But the, there's still, again, I." I think, you know, I, I can remember as a child hearing these things that someone was convinced there was going to be an earthquake literally on a certain day by, by midnight. And I just remember hiding in in my bed under my covers, you know, until midnight and then wondering, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, but those, those are the things that, you know, they've, they've sort of marked us as a people in a way. And I'm like, let's let the word of God mark us. There's so much information we've overlooked, I think, because we hold on to these little short-term things. And then it seems like maybe it's human nature, but, you know, we're always good with, hey, 12 months from now or 18 months from now. You know, it's always this kind of short-term thing, this event that someone's always going to happen. And in all that time, I feel like we bypass what the scriptures are telling us as the foundation. And I, I do accept the Book of Mormon as being not just a word of God. I think for us, God did a huge favor. It's supposed to be, I believe, the primary word of God so we can understand our relationship with him. Not to discount the Bible or, or the Doctrine and Covenants and things like that either, because the Bible gives us information that we we don't have otherwise, you know, the history of Israel and the and the uh, the life of Christ and, and all these things. But yet, when we look at the the covenants and the promises and the plainness by which it comes. It's like, we don't have any scripture anywhere that it explains it like this. And it's like, let's not lose sight of that, you know? So I'm glad we're talking about the final prophecy too, because part of that effort was to bring out some of these scriptures so we can say, Hey, right, let's, right. Keep our, let's keep our focus on the end game here. Well, none, Nonetheless, God through time 
And, and Lehi is a great example. God, through time, did send prophets to warn the people. There was a purpose for that, if, if nothing else, because there were people that would just continually reject him, that he could be a fair and just God and say, I, I gave you warning. You had <laughs> yeah. time to hear. So through the years, God says there, there was going to be warnings and prophecies of destruction, you know, Jonah to Nineveh. And, um, and we know that that's going to happen, I would think, if God is no respecter of persons and he loves all people the same in all generations, that if there is destruction coming among us that that is just unheard of and unseen, that there will be warnings. I imagine they will be, I would hope, a little more strong and obvious that they are from God and not man when that happens. Yeah. Well, but it doesn't, but I don't think all people hear that. And then, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but there's also people that, like, I hear that, and it it does make things more immediate in some ways, but I already know the scriptures, like you said, that we have, and so we know it's coming anyway, so that shouldn't change us. But you know, as, as human nature, we we procrastinate yeah. <laughs> the day well, of our repentance. But I want, You know, and one of the things I wanted to say about this, too, is I, I don't doubt that God puts it in the hearts of people that, you know, it's a parallel to Samuel. It might be the unlikely person who comes forth as the, quote, prophet, for instance. You know, we, we've kind of been raised to believe, and I think you and I were texting about this, that we always held that, well, you know, prophecy or vision or something, information about the future could only come from someone in the restoration because that's who we are, right? Yeah, I don't believe that at all anymore. Well, yeah, and I, right, because I'm like, you know, so this is how Samuel the Lamanite standing on the wall of the Nephite city telling the Nephites who had been righteous, by the way, you missed the point and Jesus is coming in five years. Here that, it's kind of like the ISIS soldier coming to us and preaching about Jesus, right? I'll tell you what, I want to listen to that. Yeah, well, the, the whole thing is how is this guy right. and they're throwing stones at this guy then get out of here you filthy lamanite you know and it's right. like no god's spirit was on him and so i i totally look for that and so I, I don't discount that this guy's dream or anyone's dream for that matter could be inspired of god because god god does work that way and and so it isn't our job to limit god but our job is also is to not get um con- Fused and diverted, and I think most of my life, I feel like, man, I was just kind of like this leaf in the wind, and, and kind of getting yeah. blown from one person's little idea and dream and vision to someone else's. And and it's like now in my life, I'm realizing God's been telling us this beautiful story about how the end yeah. unfolds, and I've missed it. That's why I've I've found great joy these last few years in reading the Word, and even this past week, uh, listening to some some preachers. The Word of God has power. The word of God has power and it's alive and it says it, it's described as sharper than a two-edged sword to divide asunder the joints and marrow. It has, it's alive and that word of God is what needs to do the work in the children of men. And it's our job simply to present the truth and to present the word of God and yeah. to present Jesus contained in the word and then let the spirit use that word to do the work. So and we always have to learn the principle of this first. You know, I, I just wanted to to say that, for instance, this point you talked about the wolves real quick in the in the dream. You know, that touched on something when I heard that too, because in the days before Noah, 
it, there was wickedness in the world. And Genesis records, Genesis 6, 13, uh, children of men were numerous on the face of the land. And in those days, Satan had great dominion among men and raged in their hearts. And from thenceforth came wars and bloodshed. Raged. So, raged, right. <laughs> so that's the description, I mean, pre-flood. This is even before Enoch's uh, account. But so we're, we're already, we're, we're seeing this. But you know what Nephi writes? And Nephi is writing in the second book of Nephi, chapter 12, uh, a vision of the future in our day. And he's describing something, and he uses the same word. He, he says, for the, the kingdom of the devil must shake. So this is God's goal is to shake the kingdom of the devil. He's not trying to even, it's like, yeah, maybe we're going to get shaken too. But remember, he's trying to remove evil. They that belong to it must needs be stirred up under repentance or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains and they be stirred up to anger and perish. And behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger against that which is good. And that's that's the point I want to emphasize. Same thing, Satan rages in their hearts. Now it adds stirring them up to be angry against that which is good. You know, those are the wolves in that dream, if you <clears throat> to draw a parallel. But that's, that's, yeah. You know, and that's the point is that we have to see that Satan, this is still, a, a you know, the whole plot against good and evil has been from the beginning. And we're just seeing the symptoms of how it's played out in our day. And that's, that's how I feel is going on. At least right now is I don't know that there's some great conspiracy to take down the president or whatever, but I I just see it as anywhere Satan can get a foothold, he's just stirring up all kinds of of anger between saints and one another and society and you know anywhere people can be angry, they're becoming angry, and and that's a, just a perfect language to describe it. Raging in the hearts of men, people are just raging out against whatever and angry and on edge, and and raging against that which is good, which yes. is interesting. You know that's yeah. the language. Well, I was so I I owe this to our listeners. I I did pull up Second Timothy. Here's the scripture in as as most people have it in the world in the King James version. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Yeah. So, and it, so yeah. the inspired version, a little bit different. It says, all scripture given by God or all scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. Mm. It doesn't say all scripture is given. So yeah. a little tweak there. Well, it's interesting what we call scripture too. You know, there's there's a lot of books of the Bible that aren't in the canon, and they were they were removed by people we don't even know for whatever reasons. Right. You know, you and I have talked about these lost books of the Bible. There's there's treasures of, of good information in some of these books that, that we've been talking about and reading. Oh yeah, yeah. And and, and I, I and there's. Uh, not even to take the conversation there, but there's politics and things over the years that have included some books and other books get pulled out. And it's like, we can't just assume that the canon we were handed by some men over 500 years ago is the only thing that has God's word in it. And like, for instance, when Joseph Smith was working on the inspired version and was told the word, we're told he was told the song of Solomon wasn't inspired as far as that. So you don't need to worry about that. You know, that we've, you know, if we take that to be true, we believe that even in the canon of Scripture that people hold on to, there are some words that are still more of man versus right. given by inspiration. Right. Yeah. So before we get 
back to the stove being hot and right. getting burned. Do you have anything else that's uh, been on your heart this week that before we dive into the final prophecy? Oh, we'll, it'll come out when we dive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff that you know. I'm glad that it's just you and I having a conversation and we can talk freely because. I, I came across a scripture that just made me scratch my head and I just, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. But, okay. Hey, you know what? So this stove being hot, uh, right. You know, Weston didn't know what a hot stove was until he touched a hot stove and how bad it really was. But you know, we're, we are all humanity isn't a lot different from Adam and Eve. I love what you said about, Hey, did they really know what it was to die? That was Kristen's question to you. And it's really intriguing. Yeah. Had they even seen anything die at that point in the garden? You know, and you know, I went back to read it because we were talking when I got home. <clears throat> Do you know Eve wasn't even around when that was given? I didn't realize that before, but God said that to Adam before He even formed Eve to teach her. To, yeah. He He said that to Adam, you know, about the trees and don't partake of this. That was before He created Eve for him. So it wasn't. You know, they weren't both present to hear that advice. And I assume Adam told her, um, but that was just, I don't know if that's significant or not, but that's that's interesting that Eve wasn't created when that instruction was given. Yeah, and so, you know, but they had been with God and it, right. you talked about walking in the cool of the evening. So, you know, we, we kind of speculate one way or the other. Maybe, maybe Adam got it first, but I would imagine in all of their, who knows how long they were in that garden and in that state before they, uh, before they, were cast right. out right and you know it could have could have been a, a lot of times they walked by that oh yeah that's the tree with the fence around remember we don't cross that fence right mm-hmm. um but who who knows in the end you know eve is a type for us in the church and adam who who although he partook of the sin there's the symbol of the fact that eve being born of him uh symbolizes the church being born of jesus you know adam had to s- simulate death he he died eve was taken from him all the other creations, Adam's body included, were created from the dust of the earth, right? But only the woman was created from the man, just like the church is the only creation well, yeah, the, from Jesus. That's I wanted to talk about that today, and I don't know where you, where you wanted to go with them. Oh, we're probably jumping around a little bit, but I, there's a couple things about this whole story that have me intrigued. But you know what I was about to say, and this gets back to the stove, though, before we jump into that, is that we still don't know the consequence of death in that we think, okay, we've got an idea of what it means to physically die, but God has been telling us from the beginning, we don't know what it's like to spiritually die. And Adam and Eve, even if they understood physical death, which they probably didn't, to your point, they had no concept of eternal death. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's our problem is that we still don't have an, a concept of eternal death. And this is what... You know, we're given, and especially it's it's really clear in the Doctrine and Covenants in um, like section 18 where it says, you know, I suffered this. This is God speaking to us. He said, I suffered this death so you wouldn't have to because you have no idea how exquisite this is, right? You have no idea how awful this is. And I'm doing this so that you don't have to. And this is the message of, you know, the second death, the final separation from God. That's why it says your torments will be like a lake of fire because it's so bad, much worse than anything you can imagine. And he's telling all humanity that stove is not only hot, 
it's destructive, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you don't want to go there. So even us today, I think we still have like the five-year-old boy not really knowing what a hot stove feels like. Yeah. Well, we know Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. And it says, I'm reading in the final prophecy, the symbol of man, woman, and marriage. Mm -hmm. God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. And yet you said, as you point out, Eve was taken from the side of Adam. Uh, God put Adam to sleep and then took a rib from Adam and created Eve. And that's a symbol, what did you say, of the church Um if God, re if Adam represented Christ, the church coming out of Christ, uh, being made alive, uh, even, you know, Christ was stabbed in the side right. and his water and blood poured out of him. And through that sacrifice, the church had the hope of eternal life. And basically he gave, he gave life back into the church. If, if the church is symbolized by Eve or the woman, in some sense, then that's a great picture that people had no idea at the time, probably what was happening. But now as we look back on it, we see God's story just threaded throughout everything from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. It was from the beginning. This whole idea of marriage is something that not just for us to be able to enjoy or procreate, but was to teach us of this idea that the the woman represents the church and, and the man represents a type for God and the two shall be one. This whole final prophecy is how God and the church become one, how it comes back together again, right? And that, that that oneness was designed from the beginning, that one was born from the other and then the two become kind of spiritually connected through life. And this only happens because of the death of the, of the man who was the type for Christ, right? That's the only way she has life. And so, when Adam partakes of this, it's interesting in the in the book of uh, in the Bible, Adam says this when God is saying, "Hey, uh, who you know who told you you're naked and and why did you partake?" and and Adam almost distances himself from Eve and he says, "Well, the one that you gave me, I did, it's like I didn't ask for her, but you gave her to me. She's the one who said I should, and you told me." that I shouldn't leave her. And this is telling because Adam knew that by her partaking, she would be cast out of the garden. It seems to imply that he has this understanding that she's going to have to depart. But he also bears this understanding that God had told him, wherever she goes, you go, right? So this also is a type for Christ taking on our sin mm. in that he's got, he he, you know, the supreme creator of heaven and earth takes on flesh to die in our place so that we don't have to die. I mean, that's to the go story where of we gospel. to go where we went to, to our to leave sinful the, place, right? To leave the courts of glory, the praise of angels, to come down and take on flesh to lower himself. The God, God became God. Basically, it was cast out of the garden in a sense, leaving the the realm of heaven to come down into earth and to be in flesh. And to follow, to follow mankind, you so, know, and, and to and to, and to then die that death <clears throat> that that gave the church life. <clears throat> Sorry. 
Yeah. So just to point this out, and you, you, you write it very succinctly here. She was the only creation Eve, not formed from the earth. She was formed from man. That is so poetic and beautiful on so many different layers. But it's and it's the type of the fact that the church could only be born from Christ, right? The mm-hmm. church wasn't some creation of the world that got a club that mankind decided to form. No, the the church can only be those who have life in Christ, and He is the only way, the the truth and the life. Born again, born again, exactly. Yeah, born again. Uh-huh. And and there's there's so many symbols. You know, the water and the blood they they symbolize the covenants and and the there, there's there's so much to this. Um, I, this is our podcast, right? So we can talk freely. Sure. I gotta, I gotta say something, and this is a little bit of a side. It's not in this uh, final prophecy, but it has to do with this. And it's just something I was reading yesterday. Um, you know, there's a friend asked me recently about the book of Abraham, and if you know, in the RLDS world, we don't really hold to that, but in the LDS world, they do. And it was some extra scripture sort of given that um, people said Joseph Smith interpreted and he may have or he may not have it may have been something that someone put to his name but whether or not that's true that's really not the point but in that i'd never read it someone said have you read this and so i i read it and it's you you can find it on the lds.org website and read it and it takes you about 20 minutes it's a few chapters it kind of reads like the story of genesis but there's some things in there that just they just don't sit right when i read it but one of them is it i always wondered where this story that we have in the inspired version only comes from, and I, I don't want anyone to, to think I'm, I'm doubting the inspired version or anything like that. It's just a question I have. And because it's our podcast and we talk about things we think about here, here it is. We have in the inspired version, this seeming account of God and Jesus and Satan all talking about who's going to go redeem mankind. And then, um, Satan gets miffed and he's not chosen and his way isn't chosen. And Jesus says, I'll go. That's, that's kind of how the story goes. And I'm not trying to just minimalize it, but, but that's only in the inspired version. Well, what's, what's interesting to me is that we get from that, um, that this, that story comes from this book of Abraham, which I didn't know. And that that's kind of in there in the same way it's worded a little bit differently, but, um, but I found recently that, you know, the inspired version, I always thought it kind of went from Joseph's, pen to his manuscript to Emma's skirt while she protected it. And then we got it published and it, and it wasn't really that way. It was, there was bits and pieces of writings that were all gathered together. And there was at least two committees all after Joseph's death that pulled things together. And, and then the committees sort of published what they thought were Joseph's words on this stuff, but it wasn't just like one document that they just had, had printed up. Well, I, I wondered where this part of the account comes from about Satan, you know, wanting to be the one to save mankind. What, what I, what I found, I was just reading this last night and it caught my attention. And it's just something I'm wondering about in Lehi's, uh, testimony as he's sharing with his sons in the second book of Nephi chapter one, he starts telling this account of Adam and Eve and he starts, he starts it differently and and he says something about Satan too, which I, I should I guess I should just finish this point. But it's it's beautiful how he sets this up because he he starts showing the opposition in all things. And what he says though, and and I'm going to read it here, um, is he says, now this is Lehi talking to his sons. He said, 
there's a God and he created all things. And this is uh, 2 Nephi chapter 1, around verse 95. Both the heavens and the earth and all things that in them is. And that word is is because yeah. they saw it all as one, right? Both things to act and things to be acted upon. And we'll come back to that acted upon. And to bring about his eternal purposes and the end of man. And so he said, after he created our first parents, the beasts, the field, the fowls of the air, and all things which he created, it must needs be that there was an opposition. So I lo- we've talked about this. I love how the Book of Mormon, especially right here, sets up the fact that, no, there was a balance, and we were placed in the middle. You know, Whether or not we were going to choose good, to be enticed by one or the other. And then he compares, he says, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet, the other being bitter. Um, wherefore God, the Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself. And I, I'm like, this is really cool because this tells the story from the beginning, not that sin somehow crept in and God wasn't prepared for it. You know, like you said before, Hey, everyone out of water, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> um, but, but then it says, Hey, God says that we should act for ourselves. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be that he were enticed by the one or the other. So the fact that he said, hey, this this won't work unless there's an enticement. You know, it's got to pull us one way or the other, and we've got to choose. This so beautifully sets up this fact that, no, that it was agency from the beginning in a world that was balanced with good and evil. We could go either way. And and this, but but this is the part right here that got me scratching my head, and it's verse 101. And I, Lehi, according to the things which I have read... Now, I'm going to stop right there. Remember where they're at in their journey. Nephi and Lehi and the family have left Jerusalem, and they had to go back to get the plates from Laban, right? And when we read, we don't have the entire description, but what it's saying is that when when Nephi sees his vision and he sees this Bible come forth among the Gentiles from the Jews, uh, he says, hey, I saw that their record was just like our plates we had, but there were not so many. And that not so many part is interesting because it implies that what Lehi and Nephi had in their hands or plates had much more writings than the Bible we have today. You know, this is why Nephi's so able to quote from Isaiah, a a third of Isaiah's in the Book of Mormon, because he had Isaiah's writings in those plates. You know, Jeremiah was a prophet of the day, but it talks about how they had all the the five books of Moses, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and other writings. Well, the reason I'm sharing this is this. It, it makes me wonder, and I'm just asking the question, where did the where did the writing about Satan being up there, because the Mormons take this as, oh, Satan and Jesus were brothers, and I don't think the scriptures imply that. But what Lehi writes, he says, and I, Lehi, according to the things which I have read, must needs suppose, those are the words I'm queuing in on, must needs suppose that an angel of God, according to that which is written, had fallen from heaven. Now, the reason, the reason I bring this up is now, I think you had your mic off, Mike, but I heard you go, hmm, like, you're, said, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. like you're following along. This, this, the, the point is this, how did Lehi not know that? I mean, we, we, we kind of feel like if it was in Genesis, it must have been part of the original story. And here Lehi is like, hey, I got to guess it was an angel of heaven. It's implying that there wasn't any of that story in all the records that he had. And maybe I'm misreading this, but, but my point is this. I've, I've often wondered if even part of that account 
of things that were in the inspired version because of things I've read in times and seasons and assumptions people made about they, some people were saying we're living in the millennium already and this was all stuff happening with Brigham Young. I'm just wondering if some of the stuff from the book of Abraham got kind of backfed back into some of the inspired version because people thought, well, it must all be true. And, and I'm just wondering right here, if that account that we have in the inspired version, and I know this is going to bother some people, but don't, don't shut us off because of this. I'm just asking a question. How is it that Lehi didn't say, oh, I saw, you know, the, the record tells us that God and Jesus and Satan were all sitting around and, J- and, and, and Satan got miffed and now he's fallen from heaven. He just says, according to the things I've read, it must need suppose that an angel from God had fallen from heaven. But he, he doesn't have any of this stuff about Satan trying to be the savior of man or Satan trying to be Jesus' brother. I mean, it wasn't in any of his records. Right. And Because I think he would have written that if it was. And that's that's kind of a question. It's like, hmm, how is it that we have this other part of the record, you know? But but Lehi didn't, and he had more records yeah. than we have available. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm familiar with that scripture. It's, it's great because... And I don't I don't remember scripture and verse like like you do, but um, but I remember, you know, I've read it so many times. I know that exact phrase, and you're right. Um, I must need suppose. So either the record was already lost from his plates, or that was never there, or it was put back in later. I have a question on that, Corey, because I I was I have gone back recently and I was reading. It seemed to me that that and I could be wrong, in the inspired version, when Satan, you know, is having that conversation, send me, I'll go, that that was before that they, they before had partaken they of, fallen. before yeah, they had partaken of the fruit. Right, right. So and, I, and I just, I read it this week because Kristen had asked that question. So I went back into Genesis and just read a little bit about the creation and the fall. And I thought, why did why did he say I'll go and redeem mankind before they had partaken of the of the fruit? Unless I mean, and, and so now I know I don't like to ask too many questions about things we we have little about because I, I believe God's given us what we need for our salvation. But that is a that's a curious question, and and like you said, don't don't turn off the we're we're just talking things out. And asking questions, right. and, and hopefully, if anyone else has insight, I, I trust yeah. the Holy Spirit brings them truth because it's open to all man, not just a priesthood, not just uh, this is just stuff. This is how you learn things. There's no, there's no fear in doing this if we trust the Spirit exactly and, implicitly. And, it, and, and, and this is the problem with you know. I have many wonderful friends I've known over the years in the LDS faith, and I love and respect them. But you know, there's there's this uh, idea there. It's kind of regimented that you can never question anything that came from you know, the prophet or anything like this. And it's like, you know, if we can't have an open dialogue about things, you know, it doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank as a church or anything, you know, because you can be falling in astray. And so I'm, I'm willing to ask the question because here's, here's what the book of Mormon shares so beautifully. And you, and you miss this point. If you get conflicted over this, the book of Mormon is clear that there was only one solution to mankind's plight are, are being fallen away from God is that the creator himself had to take on flesh and blood. And and it wasn't like there was this, you know, committee that said, well, let's find someone who, who will go, you know, any of you angels, anyone, you know, raise your hand. It's like, it wasn't possible that because of our, the infinite cost of our sin, 
it required an infinite sacrifice and there was only one who was infinite. Right. There was no, there was no mistake over that. Right. That's, and that's, uh, that's something that you point out all of the time. And, and I will be one, I I will be one to represent the masses or whatever. I hear you and you and I have talked about this more than anything. And I admit it, it goes, it, that goes over your head. What you just said probably went over a lot of people listening's head. You know, infinite and eternal uh, problem needs an infinite and eternal sacrifice. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Amen. the thing that the church should be focused on for since its inception until the time Christ returns. God take on flesh and blood. Jesus Christ is the eternal God that came down to save us. He stepped into the world. This is the gospel, the good news that his blood covers our sins, that we have hope that only the sons of perdition will be cast off, that God will reconcile the the people back to him, that he is mighty to save, that that's where our faith lies. He's the author and finisher of our faith. All of these things is the gospel. And so, you know, we kind of talk about these things in a roundabout way, but but this is the focus of it. It's It's not, you know priesthood offices and, and councils and standing councils and all of those things perhaps were necessary at a time, maybe again, but that's, but that's not what makes the restored gospel wonderful. It's the Book of Mormon and the restoring of the plain and precious truths that were taken away through the history of man to come together that we have all the information we need in these last days, you know, the Throughout time, throughout thousands of years, God brought these back in 1830, the very end of time, to give us this, the Gentiles, this this one great last chance to accept him, to accept truth, to know about who he is, the purpose, right? To convince the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, and that he's returning. And we say, Nah, I don't think I'm going to care about this. I'm going to focus on everything but this. And then he says, all right, it's going back to my covenant people. You had your chance. So, you know, those of you that believe you can assist them, but they are, we're going to, we are going to, I'm going to return and I'm going to begin the gathering of all of my people. Get, get on board or don't. So yeah, that's and that's that's the that's the gospel and where we should keep our focus every Sunday and every class and every, Everything we do needs to drive into that very narrow area of God reconciling man to him Amen. and Amen. changing our hearts to be transformed. Don't you love? I love what you just said, by the way. I mean, that's so That's so exactly, you know, we started this off talking about the, the dream and all this stuff. And, and you just made the point so well that, that, that I was feeling that. Let's not lose sight of what you just mentioned because that is what we should be focused on. And all these other things, they tend to get us focused on short term and we miss the long term. Right, right. Well, I forgot what I was saying now, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just going to sit here until it comes back because you're on a roll. Sorry. Well, so, mm, so what we don't, what we shouldn't be doing is is missing that that point, and yet we often do. And we, we really, at, if ever before, need to regroup and focus in on the story of the gospel. And, oh, I, would, I was saying um, most of the— I'm hearing men preaching today from other places, and I don't know that I've heard this before, but they are so clued into the fact that 
we have to be transformed in the inner man and that a Christian, a true follower of Christ, looks different, is changed, feels different. Uh, one guy said it's like getting hit by a semi. Like you look different, you feel different, your life is different. You cannot come into contact with your creator, with Jesus Christ, and remain the same person. You have a different fire in your belly. You have a, a different purpose. Um I'm hearing things like, you know, what is our purpose every day when we get up? It's to bring glory to our creator. Mm-hmm. Whether you're you're at your nine to five job or whether it's a, it's a weekend and you're going to church and you're worshiping, it doesn't matter where you're at, when you're there, what you're doing. Your purpose at that moment is not to bring home money or to provide for your family. It is to bring glory to God and everything else is secondary. And as you're, as you're making your living and, you know, by the sweat of your brow, it's to bring glory to God. And that all happens when you come to meet Christ. And that's the purpose of the gospel is to to meet Christ and to be born again and to be changed. And other people are preaching this so strongly. Uh, I listened to a guy this week, and um, a, a caller wrote in. They, they read some questions, and they said, what, what happens if I'm going to a church where, um, you know, the, the pastor and the they're not focused on Christ. You know, it's not Christ-centered and it's not the main message. You know, how do I get that to change? And and he read that and he just, this guy is such a, a believer in expounding the word and let the word do the work. And he just kind of chuckled. He goes, well, well leave. He says, <laughs> you leave that church and you go find a Bible teaching, scripture-based, expounding the word of God as it was written, as its purpose, church that's doing that because that's the purpose of the of life and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought that's wow, that's pretty that's pretty straightforward, but it was like, well, why why would you continue to do that? That has nothing to do with why we're here. If you if you're not focused on Christ and expounding his word he gave us, go somewhere where they're doing that cuz and um you know, to be honest, we bring that home. Is that happening in our branches? We feel tied in because of our our heritage and what we've done. But, man, Corey, I don't want to go 70 years on this earth and have spent all of that time not, not focused on the right thing. Yeah. You know, Nephi is a great example of the fact that he had seemingly bad things, although he doesn't dwell on them, all around him all the time. You know, brothers and cousins and nephews, who are wanting to kill his people all the time. And he's having to, he had real bad things, right? Not just, uh, oh, it might be bad coming, but, <laughs> but yet in the whole scheme of all that, he, he writes this verse 73, you know, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah. He is full of grace and truth. He offers himself a sacrifice for sin to the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit. And he says, how great the importance to make these things known to the inhabitants of the earth. You know, through all this other stuff that was going around around him, I mean, literally seeing his own family killing each other, he says, how important it is that we tell this. So I ask that because it's like, how similar in our day should we not get distracted? Because if we get distracted, we're not telling this message. And this is what he said, that, no, that we may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. 
You know, it's like we can't get distracted from the, what the purpose is. And God has already told us, well, you Gentiles got distracted. This is how the end mm-hmm. game is. But don't worry, there's a place for you. We, you read a scripture like that, and it's like, yes, that's so true. But, um, but I don't feel like, like that message is the forefront of what I've grown up learning, um, at least in corporate worship. And at times, there's, there, it has been, but. But that's the whole mission of the church. That's the whole mission of coming together is to learn that in our mind, to know where it's at in the Word, to know how to present that to other people. But number one, to be changed by that message. Yeah. Yeah. And if if that message hasn't changed you in your inner, inner man, then the gospel hasn't reached its purpose yet in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it has to become relevant and it becomes relevant by you being changed by that message. Mm. And it's our job as ministers and as the church of Jesus Christ to present that message to people and invite them into relationship with the Holy Spirit so that that message changes the inner man and they're born again. And our job is to do the inviting and to do the presenting and to lead people into it and just leave it alone and let God do his work and quit <laughs> stepping into his position and making people do it and trying to organize things and trying to be the the uh, the head when we're not the head we are exactly. the we are the servants to Christ and as as as, as I've heard you know preached why would you want to be anything else as a, a leader when you can be a servant to the to yeah. king, a slave well, to the king. Yeah. Why and he is to the, be a king when you can be a servant for God? To, G, to Jesus, who is the best master and the best, uh, this is going to be incorrect, the best slave owner of any person. <laughs> when, we, when Paul says, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ, yeah. that's the best thing in the world to be, to allow him to be your master because he is all good and has your best interest in mind. So, Amen. but yeah. Well, I don't know where we ended up or how we I, got here, but I, this is... We're, we're going to have to go to the final prophecy next time. But uh, I mean, we touched on it, but it's all good. We always love talking, Mike. I love this when we get together. Well, when you're... Yeah, and especially when you're out of town, um, we, people think you showed up here and we started within you know a minute. So we didn't... Um, we just like to come back together on air and talk about what's been on our hearts. So yeah. I thank everybody for uh, tuning in once again. And just keep walking each other home. Keep walking <laughs> each other home. Things are going to get a little bumpy here maybe, but we do have each other. And we have the wonderful gospel, of Jesus Christ. <laughs>